0: Listen to Paul's powerful description of Jesus. This in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, here stands one of the most compelling arguments for Jesus' deity and supremacy. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we come to you today, we Look into your word, trusting as it is the living and active word of God, that it will do a work within us, that your spirit will speak through the word of God to transform, to change us, to grow us, to grow those deep roots. Father, today, may you have full authority in this time and in this space. And God, may the words and the things that I share truly be the words that you speak into our hearts and minds today. God, bless this time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our series out of the book of Colossians that we've simply called Rooted in Christ. Our theme this morning is that of Jesus over all. Jesus over all. Don't you love the Apostle Paul's description here of Jesus? The the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the head of the body, his church. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus, the Son of God, like this. This found in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, he says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I wonder when have you heard the following statements made either about you or about someone else. Statements like, he is such his father's son. She is such her, her mother's daughter. Gotta get those right. Now, it doesn't have to be just those. You say, well, he is such his mother's son or she is such her father's daughter. Oftentimes those type of phrases, those kind of statements are used, right, because there is a likeness in how that child responds. There there are similar mannerisms that seem to be inherited within the home genetically. That the way that he or she speaks either as adult or child or the way that one responds and then the other seems to be a mere image. We've probably said it ourselves before. Well, he is such as father's son or she is such her mother's daughter because there's such a likeness, there's such similarity. I know that in my own family, And parents, isn't it humbling for us, especially when our children are younger and they imitate the things that we do and it's as if we're holding up a mirror to ourselves, right? It's like, I wanna break that mirror, not break the kid. I'm not suggesting that. But I don't like the thing that they're reflecting back at me. I see myself in their actions. I see myself in their attitudes. And I think of many times where that's been the case, as we have raised our kids, now our oldest married, our middle in college, and our youngest a senior in high school, I think others sometimes see it better than those of us who are close into the relationship, right? We, and sometimes it skips a generation, right? Grandparents, it's not maybe seen in your kids, but the, your grandchildren, or at least your children can see it in their children, that that's just like grandma and grandpa. It's the reason that our middle son, Riley, has kind of affectionately been tagged Little Dallas, because in many ways, he kind of mirrors things that we also see in my dad, Dallas, and many of you know my folks, Dallas and Linda, away this week celebrating, in fact, the 101 the 101st birthday of my grandpa Kuykendall, my mom's dad. I mean, truly amazing. But we see that like this, right? We see the mannerisms, we see the, the image, if you will, we see the representation from generation to generation. Consider what Jesus says in John's Gospel in chapter 14 and verse nine, when he says that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. A little bit of background that we covered last week in this series that will be in throughout January and February. Of course, Paul writes to a relatively new group of new converts here in the Colossian church. This church was the product of a church-planting effort by a guy by the name of Epaphras. He is referred to in the pages of this letter. He's an earlier convert of Paul, and he was the one who helped establish this church in Colossae. Paul writes this prison letter, one of four of his epistles considered as prison letters because he was under house arrest in Rome. This referenced in the book of Acts chapter 28, where where Paul wrote these letters and had them sent out to the churches. While Paul had never met these people, he writes with great affection, and yet he also writes with great concern. For one of the primary concerns at this time was that of a false teaching known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, if we were to boil it down, was really about minimizing Jesus. Minimizing Jesus as both fully God and fully man. That just couldn't be reconciled in a Gnostic's thinking. You see, many considered Jesus to be important but maybe not entirely essential. We we know that word essential today, don't we? Because that tag has been given to a number of things and many of us might argue, well, aren't all of these things essential? And some services get kind of labeled essential over others. But I want us to consider that as Paul writes this to the Colossian people, that this Gnosticism is so and said, and here are some relatively new converts. He's, he's concerned for them, that they don't fall for this false teaching, that the physical and the spiritual can't interact, that they can't coexist even in the person of Jesus. And so because they refuted anything that was physical, They just couldn't accept who Jesus was, and therefore they minimized Jesus. And while they might feel that Jesus was important, they ran the risk of not seeing him as essential. In other words, while Jesus might be prominent, he certainly wasn't preeminent. Meaning that he had existed for all times And thus being spoken of as being there at creation Paul underscores that Jesus is not only prominent He's not only preeminent You know another P is coming right in this statement here But he is also paramount He is central Remember our theme this morning Jesus over all Jesus, the image of the invisible, that word image in the Greek is the word econ. You can probably figure what we got out of that in English. It's the word icon, a manifestation, a replica of the original, such that you can't even tell the difference they seem one in the same Jesus is the image of the invisible God and so there's some things that we see right here in the text and if you're taking notes you might jot these down the first one is that Jesus is God many of us might go duh right but that wasn't always entirely clear to these young believers they need to be reminded in the landscape of heretical teaching and false teaching and false belief that jesus is in fact god john writes in his gospel in john one eighteen, he says no one has ever seen god but the one and only son who is himself god and then john says it is in relationship of course with god that that son has made him known has made god known Jesus, yes, is in fact God, but I think another thing we note out of this text is that Jesus is the unique son of God. Paul writes, he says that he is the firstborn over all creation. Do we have any firstborns here? You could just throw your hand up there. Okay, that explains some things, right? You who are generally firstborns considered to be the responsible ones of the family, the ones who are the moral compass for the family. Now, by way of who raised their hands, I think we've broken some of that mold here. If I know, you know, I'm just kidding. But firstborns, right? I'm a secondborn. I'm kind of a little bit more of the, at least, you know, Stereotypically, kind of the happy-go-lucky, you know, the kid who probably sometimes gets more love than the firstborn because they're, they're just a little bit more free spirit. I'm not really free spirit, but I like to just crack people up. I like to just kind of, you know, just have fun with it. If you can't have fun, then why do it, right? Right but we're talking about Jesus the unique son of god being the the firstborn over all creation you know that term firstborn really in biblical times it really denoted you know to be an heir Right to be an owner. There were there was a birthright that came. We see this throughout the Old Testament and into the new. We see where families, that firstborn, that held a, a critical place within the family, and with that some critical rights. Here, Paul reminds us that Jesus not only is God, but he is the unique son of God, the firstborn over all creation. But then he goes further. He says that Jesus is the creator of all things. All things were created by him, verse 16. You see, in contrast, this blew the minds of the Gnostics. It's so helpful for us to understand the context that this was written because the the Gnostics believed that Jesus couldn't have created the physical as already being a spiritual being. He just could not have been responsible for creation because the Gnostics couldn't allow themselves to mix the physical, which was clearly evil to them, so it was all about the spiritual. Paul makes a point to say that Jesus is, in fact, the creator, along with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that he is the creator of all things. Listen to what is written in Revelation 4 and 11, referring to the Son of God, to Jesus, "'For you created all things.'" And by your will, they were created and have their being. Paul continues in verse 17 here in Colossians 1, that in him, in Jesus Christ, all things, are, all things hold together in him. The reference of that holding together is really the idea that they're preventing things from falling into complete chaos. Friends, isn't that a good word that we need to hear today? When we feel like some things are falling into complete chaos, I don't know whether it's on a larger scale, whether you may feel it's within your own home or what immediately surrounds you that we want to just kind of throw our hands up and go, man, it is complete chaos. But in Christ, we have one who holds all things together. Amen? Such an important reality for us. And Jesus, as the head of the body, his church, helps us see the fact that the Christ of creation is also the Christ of redemption. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That dwelling really inferring to take up residence. That dwelling is exactly the thing that Jesus did through the incarnation. The very reason that we celebrate Advent and the very reason that we celebrate not only the first Advent, the coming of Jesus, but we anticipate the second Advent, Christ made his dwelling among us it says in John chapter 1 and it says here in Colossians for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in God in Jesus was incarnate all that was represented in God the image of the invisible God Paul actually uses here in verse 19 this term in his, full, in his fullness is really a statement that is repeated eight different times in the book of Colossians and what Paul is continuing to do is affirming Jesus' identity again against the backdrop of false teaching. He wants to remind these young converts That Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. That Jesus is the head of the body of this church that they even know in the city of Colossae. You know, some might ask, as we think of the Christ of creation as also the Christ of redemption, some might be tempted to ask, well, why is reconciliation, why is the reconciliation embodied in the life of Jesus so important The answer, because, without the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross, the very thing that we're going to celebrate here in a few minutes, celebration is an interesting word, right, to accompany with communion, but we're going to observe this sacrifice, this shedding of Jesus' blood and his ultimate victory from the cross, Why is reconciliation so important? Because without that shedding of blood on the cross, we would be alienated from God. Scripture says that we would be enemies of God. Let's finish out our passage here in Colossians, if you happen to still have it opened or turned to. We pick up in verse 21, and just verses 21 through 23 to finish out. Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. Note that Paul is really emphasizing that. It's because of the false teaching that's so prominent. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul says, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed in every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Friends, this is the power and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just principally speaking, are we saying the hope and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is the very message that we're called to embody and to exhibit in the world around us. To exhibit the power of God to transform and change a life. To exhibit and embody the hope of the gospel of Jesus when so many things in our world today seem to be the dead end of hopelessness. Paul insists to the Colossians and to us as well that Jesus Christ is supreme. That Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus is Lord over everything he's made, and he is Lord over everyone he's saved. The question that I would ask you this morning is really this, is Jesus Christ supreme in your life? Is Jesus Christ supreme in your life? Is Jesus, in other words, over all? Over all, everything that your life consists of. Is Jesus over all? Not compartmentalized, right, into the things that we want to surrender to Jesus, the things that frankly are easy to surrender. But is Jesus over all? Is Jesus Christ supreme? in your life? A couple of other questions that flow with that. Are you reconciled to Him? Have you surrendered yourself? Have you confessed your sin? Have you received the forgiveness of of a loving and compassionate and gracious God? Are you reconciled to Him so that in you He is supreme? Have you become A servant of his gospel hope, of his gospel forgiveness, of the gospel grace that is ours. Not to be earned, but given as a gift for all who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. I want to challenge you today that this message, that this text really describing Jesus as supreme, that this idea of Jesus over all really falls flat if there is no context of relationship for you with Jesus Christ. Friends, when it seems like there's so many things that, that present hopelessness to us In our world and even maybe right now And I don't know what your specific circumstances are But we can reach out to the hope And the peace and the love and the joy The things that we recently spoke of in Advent In the month of December Those things are readily available to us We don't dismiss them when we wrap up the Christmas season We try to fully live into them when I pray in a few moments, I want to invite you, whether in person here those listening online or maybe at a later time, that if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, maybe now is that opportunity. Not for any special words that are to be prayed, but for a heart that really recognizes a need for change. I want to invite the team if they'll come back out and in a few moments, I'm going to pray with us, and I also want to lead us in the taking of communion. So I want to just give you a heads up to be ready on that. I will say to those present that I always have to kind of prepare that top layer of the cellophane because it's not easy sometimes to get to the wafer. Um, so anyway, FYI, maybe you already figured that out. I'm not going to be up here fiddling with it and look like a fool. No. want to um, have those of you at home uh, prep that as well. But um, as, as we move into communion today, and I, I know as Lori's just going to play softly, and as we take some time to reflect here, that I'm reminded of the Apostle Peter's words in 1 Peter 2 in verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, he says that in him, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for Righteousness. Friends, we're doing that very exchange that Paul writes about in the book of Acts that we'll no longer be slaves to sin but we'll be slaves to righteousness and through this most righteous act of Jesus dying for our sins, the prophet Isaiah reminds us that by his wounds and by his suffering that we are healed. I want to encourage you today and what not a better time As we start another year to say You know 2020 <laughs> Didn't see that coming and, and maybe it has thrown you for a loop as it has for many of us And it's going to take a while here in 2021 right For us to kind of feel back to whatever normal is going to be But can we be firmly rooted In Jesus Christ through it all Can we really say that Jesus is over all, over all of... Some things that seem like they're in complete chaos or so undone right now. But let's not just get into the big stuff and overlook the personal stuff. Jesus has come to reconcile and to save us. So before we take communion this morning... I want to just lead us in a prayer and I want to ask if you just bow your heads and take some moments of silence here. And maybe this morning as we pray, whether again here in person or somewhere online or at a later time, you're recognizing that you need to reconcile some things with Jesus Christ. Friend, I pray that you would do that now. That you would lay your life open wide And that you would trust the work of God By his spirit to convict And to, and just to be at work it's, it's not to pin us against a wall It's not to corner us But it's to convict us of sin So that we might reconcile it to Jesus Would you do that now? And maybe for some here today, you've never been in a relationship with Jesus Christ and maybe today is the day, not because I am suggesting it might be so, but because the Spirit of God is calling you. Will you surrender yourself to Jesus Christ? Will you confess your sin, receive His forgiveness and invite Him to be Savior and Lord of your life? Father, today we thank you for this most gracious act of love of Jesus Christ surrendering his life and what we observe in this act of communion. The receiving of the bread, the taking of the cup, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood that was shed for us, ushering a new covenant. And that we might do this in remembrance, Jesus, of you. So friends, right now, I want to invite you, whether in person or online, to take what you have, for they truly are symbolic, and take that wafer representing his body, and let's receive it today. And in the same way, Jesus with his disciples took the cup, and he passed it among them and said this is my body this is my blood that was shed for you take this in remembrance of me and let's do that today in your life may it be said that Jesus is the subject that in an ever changing and frankly uncertain world filled with ever-changing and uncertain circumstances that you are firmly rooted in jesus christ that's my hope that's my prayer for you that you would be rooted in christ and that christ would be exalted over all else within you we're going to take some moments to respond as the team leads in a song want to encourage you that you just respond as as Jesus might be leading you. Whether it may be an altar of prayer. Maybe it's one of our response stations this morning. Maybe you just got some a couple prayers on your heart and you want to add it to the prayer wall. And again, you're always welcome to take a prayer request as well at any time. But why don't you stand to your feet and let's let the supremacy of Christ just kind of wash over us as we share these words and as we respond. And I'll be back up to us.